moms, mothers, grandmothers, uh, you really are very hard on yourselves. Um, you assess your family, your work, your home, your life, your husband. And what conclusions do you draw uh, when you do those assessments? How often does the word fail enter your mind? I'm not talking about the husbands right now. I'm talking about just your general reflection on life. How often does that sense of failure feel like a weight uh, slowing you down? All the projects that you wish you could be involved in and wish you could finish, all the friendships you haven't nurtured quite enough, all the angst from the conversation you had with that child, and it just didn't turn out the way you had hoped. Moms, you are really hard on yourselves, but at least you're not alone in this. We all feel the weight of failure. Failures that mute our joy and frustrate us, diminish our hope, and disturb our peace. And it was just three weeks ago that we celebrated Easter. Easter, the day death died, the day our failure was set free and we could be free. It was an utterly wondrous day, a rewriting of reality, a victory from tragedy. And while the world cried out insanity, and they use his name for profanity, and now Trent's rhyming, um, but we all know, and those who know him best can cry out, Lord, thank you. You have died, you are risen, and you are coming again. And this is good news for us, good news for those of us who have failed and failed miserably. But then three weeks go by, and today is today, and we feel all that weight once again. Do you ever wonder what it was like for those disciples those first couple of days, those first few weeks after the resurrection? What would it have been like for the disciples to have witnessed the resurrection and then all of a sudden not really know what they're supposed to do next? They have this information. Now Jesus has asked them to both go into the whole world and tell everyone, all the nations about him, but then at the same time he says, but wait, first wait. So there's this like mixed message of go, wait. And that's a bit of a strange place for them to be. And I imagine in my own life that tension of the call to go and the need to wait and everything else in between. We as a church are in an in-between place. We're still adjusting to what it means for us to live in this new pandemic-shaped world. How do we do ministry now? How do we do community in this, enti- in this time? How do we live now? And also, specifically, we as a church are in an in-between place because as we're preparing for Pastor Brian's retirement, we're also recognizing and wrestling through the changes, the questions, the uncertainties, the hopes and fears that come with that. And many of you in your own lives might feel like you're in an in-between place, stuck somehow between what was and what will be. And we need God's plan. We need God's purpose. We need his filling and his work in our lives to be able to see clearly what he has for us 
today. And many of us find ourselves in a place like that, and we need that fresh vision and that fresh call in our lives. And God has a fresh plan for you. He has a call on your life. And maybe you've only just started to sense it. Maybe you've only started to kind of work through what that means. Maybe that's a brand new idea in your life. You're like, is there more? What else is there for me? Maybe it's an old plan that needs to be dusted off so you can get going with what is in front of you. Or maybe you thought that it was a good plan that was going on in your life until you royally screwed it up and you failed big time. And the weight of that failure feels like it's frozen you. It's made you stuck between what was and what God is calling you towards. And it's hard to know how to walk forwards in that time. I often wonder what it was like for Peter. So we have all of the disciples, but Peter especially, after Jesus' resurrection, in that in-between time, because we will remember that Peter was explicitly warned right before Jesus went to the cross. In Luke 22, 21 to 34, it says this. Uh, Peter said to, uh, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and that when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go to, pr go to prison and to death. And Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. That's not how this passage goes. Um, you will deny me three times that you know me. He was warned, but he was so overconfident. He ends up denying Jesus. And what kind of weight would that have been like to carry? It would have, it would have been heavy, I would imagine. Peter, the chosen one to lead God's people, the rock who turned to sand under pressure. And how much of his excitement of the resurrection was dampened by his shame and sense of failure? And how much of our excitement in our life is dampened by our failure? How much of the good news that's in our lives is muted by our, by our fails, by our mistakes? Well, today, I want to take a closer look at this prayer. Um, we don't know how long Jesus prayed. We don't know exactly what words he used when he prayed this prayer. Um, we don't know the techniques that were inside of it, but what we know is what he said. He says this, I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Hmm. I'll be honest, I've never really looked closely at that particular part of the passage to realize that there seems to be something wrong. There seems to be a bit of attention. Did Luke get it wrong? Did he work the words in a, in a way that don't make sense? Because Jesus just declared that he prayed that Peter's faith may not fail. Did, did Jesus' prayer work? Uh, uh, Pastor Kay Jack of Highland Park, Church of the Nazarene, he pointed this out to me and I really appreciated his insights. And a lot of my reflections today and in this sermon are from the sermon he provided for all of us Nazarene pastors in this sermon series on praying our way to Pentecost. 
And he asked that question, did, did Jesus' prayer work? Because what do we know of the story, right? So we believe prayer works. We know it works in the sense that prayer connects us to our Heavenly Father, that it gives us a sense of alignment for God's heart, that we're moving in the right direction. We know that prayers are not wasted and that God responds to the pleas of his people in ways that we can see and in ways that we'll never really understand. We can can even accept that God answers prayers in ways that don't make sense to us. We can wrap our heads around that sometimes. But by faith, we trust that God is working it all out. But Jesus, if there was one person whose prayers would work, it would be Jesus, right? Like, Jesus and the Father are tight. They know each other. They worked with each other. Through all eternity, there is a deep connection. And every word that comes out of the mouth of Jesus was the the words of the Father. Everything that Jesus did, he did in obedience from the Father by the Spirit. And we trust that. As Christians, we've come to depend on the words of Jesus, that what Jesus says is. There's no question. There's no uncertainty. So in this moment, what happened? Did Jesus' prayer fail? Because Peter ended up denying Jesus. That is clear. He failed. At least that's the way we perceive it. We're left with the option, either Peter's faith failed or Jesus' prayer did. Right? Either Jesus got it wrong or we've got it wrong. But I think in answering this question, there's going to be some really good news for a few of you. News that you really needed to hear. Uh, there's a race. It's called the Tough Mudder. Now, basically, it involves running through mud. Lots and lots of mud. There's obstacles, um, and it's kind of got this military boot camp feel where you climb over things, you climb under things, you climb through things, and it's terrible. It's a disaster. It is so difficult. It's so messy. And my friends and I were dumb enough to decide we can do this race. So we did this race and the day came and it was just our luck. It was plus one degrees outside. Yeah, it was slightly snowing. This was in Drumheller, and we get going. And even before the first activity, so they had this one thing. It was called the ice plunge, or it was an ice plunge, where basically this polar dip, where you had to go through this like huge bucket of ice. There was no way for you to not submerge your head. You come out the other side. You are soaked head to toe, and then you have to go and race. And I was seeing people drop like flies. Hypothermia, no kidding, was actually setting in for a lot of people. And we had all, there was so many tents and health tents. And I'm like, what am I doing? So we got racing and it was difficult. It was muddy. It was freezing. I remember at one point we're climbing up this like mud slope. And I'm like, there's like rivers of like water and mud flowing down and I'm looking down thinking this is a disaster and I don't know how to climb it up like the rope is slippery I'm jamming my fingers like into the muddy edge of the cliff and pulling myself up and then I get to this after all of that there's this simple 
you know, like you just use the rope, climb up this big thing, and then go over the other side. Well, it was slick and muddy, and by this point, my hands were exhausted. I was so frustrated. I could not get over it. I could not climb over it. One of my friends was like boosting me at one point. I'm glad they didn't take a photo of that. <laughs>、um, and, and, eventually, and I was like getting so close, and I just slide down, and I was like, there's. I, I can't, I failed. And I just like laid on the ground and like cried, like, no. I was very dramatic because I knew I was on camera.、Um, oh, did I just like reveal a piece of my personality?、Um, anyways, we continue on. And then at one point, I noticed that、um, me and this one friend, we had accidentally missed like an entire loop where we got, where we didn't race like a, a fairly decent portion of the race. And so we were like, ah, it's okay, we're really tired. And then We get near to the end, and this is ridiculous, okay? For the grand finale, you have to run through this alley of live wires. And when I say live wires, I don't mean those tasty candies, I mean like voltage wires. So, scene one goes something like this. Yep, those are wires, and some of them are electrocuted. Next scene. Oh, ah, and then the third one is that. That is the picture of a winner right there. I did not win.、Um, we get to the very end of the race, and I, I feel like a total failure because I skipped so many obstacles. I couldn't climb over so many different things. I was so frustrated. And then. I brought this up for a reason. They give, they hand out these shirts. And I don't know if you can see it. It says finisher. Yes, also, this was in 2015. This, this didn't happen just a little while ago. Finisher. And I think to myself, you know what? Of all of the races in my entire life, I will take the participation award. And I will be proud of it, and I will wear it until there's holes in this shirt because it took so much effort. But there was still this lingering thought in my mind I, I failed. Like, I couldn't, I couldn't accomplish it. I couldn't do the tasks that were in front of me. It set in that I was just like. So when people are like high fiving, I was like, yeah, but there was this like lingering frustration, this lingering doubt. Uh, how do you define failure? When someone gives you a high five of a job well done, what kind of goes through your mind? Do you go through the list of, well, actually, maybe I shouldn't be giving you that high five because I could have done a little better? The word Jesus uses to describe his prayer that Peter would not fail, that word fail means to come to an end, to die out, to no longer be functioning. Luke uses this specific word to make it clear to all of us that failure is more like when a rope snaps or a ladder buckles underneath you. I don't know why I'm using such like dramatic, injury prone illustrations, but, anyways,、um, that something is no longer functioning. Or say the state of your finances when you've died, like you, you can't use them anymore, it's done. We've all come to an end. That's the understanding. And when our faith has died out, it's come to an end and it's no longer functioning. That's how Jesus was talking about failure. And we don't typically use that word fail 
in that way. We often refer to it every time we've messed up, when we try to jump over the puddle and we overestimate our like, capacity, and then we land right in the middle of the puddle. Or it's when you pick the wrong checkout lane, and it's the long one, and you're like, oh, fail. When you're driving in the car, and then you look over and realize that the person driving beside you has witnessed you picking your nose, and you think, fail, what have I done? And then you think, why did you use that illustration in your sermon? Fail. (laughs) I'm sorry, Mom, if you're watching this. It still happens sometimes. The word fail has become this catch-all for mistakes, mess-ups. I fail when there's this gap between my understanding and my obedience. Whenever I choose comfort over my calling, I perceive it as a fail. Whenever I choose my preferences over a life of faith, And failing is so frequent in my life that it feels like my faith fails over and over many times. And I wonder if some of you can relate to that feeling, that frustration. But what if my view, what if our view of failure doesn't truly match up with what Jesus is talking about? What if you are referring to something as a fail or a failure that Jesus never would have? Maybe something that you're referring to as a failure, Jesus wouldn't even pray to keep that from you. Maybe what you view as a failure is something that God wants to bring you into and through. I believe that God answers prayer. I really do. I believe that God answers Jesus' prayers. And I believe that God is still answering Jesus' prayers. In John 17, there was that great high priestly prayer that all of them would be as one. And he makes this prayer to the church that they would be united, that they would be as one. And when we look around in our world and in our day and age, we might wonder, did that prayer get answered? But I believe that Jesus is still answering that prayer. And without that prayer, I think that the polarization and the divisiveness that has existed, particularly in the last couple of years within the church internationally, I think that it's the prayer of Jesus that's been holding us together. Has it been easy? No. Has it been pretty? No. Has the church given itself over to lesser things instead of focusing on kingdom issues? Absolutely. But did we fail? It appears not. Not by Jesus' standard. We have not come to an end. We are still functioning. We don't just, I don't just mean that the church is still functioning by doing services, which is great. I'm glad that we're able to have this. But I mean that the church is still functioning as the witness and agents of the kingdom that is amongst us. Jesus' prayer for us didn't fail in that. And neither did his prayer for Peter. Because Peter's faith didn't fail. Peter's faith was still functioning. It did not come to an end. Peter denies Jesus. There is no question about it. But ultimately, his faith did not fail. A faith that falters is not the same as a faith that fails. Peter was shaken by those events. 
it wrecked him, it messed with him, and it revealed his brokenness, and it, it was a challenge for him. And it says this, that even Satan requested to sift you as wheat, you know, sifting the process of like chaff and the small pieces from the good, healthy pieces, and all of that. And it's where there's this undesired removal of what is sought after. It is, in essence, a crisis of faith that is taking place. Now we have people like Judas. Judas, when confronted with his betrayal, he judged himself and ended his life. His faith ended. His faith failed. But Peter's faith falters within the crisis, but it does not fail. And because it does not fail, God uses that humbling event to build him up even stronger on the other side. This same Peter who wilted under pressure becomes the leader of the church. This same Peter who crumbled and just couldn't handle it is now standing confidently in front of thousands declaring who Jesus is. And that day on Pentecost, 3,000 entered into the fold and joined the church. So we can see that his faith faltered. He tripped, he fell, he stumbled. But it didn't fail. It didn't end. So why do we view our falter? Why do we view it as failure? Why are we so quick to label something as a failure in our lives when perhaps Jesus isn't that quick to judge us? Why do we have this all or nothing thinking? Why am I quicker to label something finished way before Jesus thinks it's finished? Uh, there's a concept in weightlifting uh, called, you know, to train to failure or to go to failure. And the whole idea is that you overtax your muscles. So you're like lifting a weight until you can't lift anymore. And all of the fibers in your muscles have been used up to the point where you can't lift anymore. And that's where you've trained to failure. But if we understand that correctly, it's not like your muscles have like exploded never to be used again. To train to failure in that moment is, well, in that exact moment, they're done. But you take a breath, you rest, you step back, you re-engage, and you do your next set. You can keep going forward. And in fact, that process strengthens you. That overestimation, that overstimulation of your muscles actually is what builds strength. I think that we struggle with how we perceive our mess-ups, our screw-ups, our mistakes. And we are so quick to just put the acts of judgment on our lives that we don't have space to see that God has a good plan for us long-term, that God is at work in your life. And without the humility of those moments of messing up and failing and uh, not failing <laughs> messing up and faltering and having those challenges we would never grasp his true strength that is at work in our own lives so maybe you need to start looking at life and faith in a similar way what would it look like for us to consider faults and falters, <laughs> that's a weird way to say it, our falters as steps of growth. Our crisis moments 
are the very tools that God uses to refine our faith and cause us to be stronger on the other side. Now, I'm not saying that we cease taking responsibility for our errors, that we don't own up to our mess-ups, but what if we took on a growth mindset? We struggle with this because we expect faith to be perfect. We admit that we won't be perfect, and yet it seems to surprise us whenever we screw up and stumble and struggle. I think I would have responded like Peter would uh, in that situation with that boldness, with that overconfidence of, I'll make it, I'll, I'll be with you to the end, I'll even go to jail, I'm not gonna stop. And yet, with that overestimation, I would probably have seen and looked back on that event and said, you know what, Trent, you failed. You couldn't handle it. But maybe we call it a failure because of that kind of surprise, and it takes us off guard. But Jesus is up to something greater and better in our lives, and it is good news. After Jesus tells Peter this prayer, he gives him a task. He says that Satan will sift him as wheat, but he also prays for Peter alone that his faith through the falters would not fail, and that after he's turned back, that he would strengthen the other disciples. Jesus' prayer was not for Peter's sake alone, but his faith would not fail so that he could strengthen the others. Has your faith failed? No. It's faltered, it's been tested, it's gone through crisis, it's been sifted, but it's still here. If you have breath in your lungs, your faith is not yet failed. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus made a way for our failures to never be the end. Even if you faltered for years, and for years your faith has been next to nothing. It is not over for you yet. It is not over. Everything up to this point can and will be used by God to bring you into a new and stronger faith, a faith that you can use to serve and love your sisters and your brothers. What if all of this faltering faith is God at work bringing you to a stronger place? And I think sometimes the very people we label as done with faith, we've written them off, so often those are the very ones who have come back stronger with a new perspective of, of God's goodness and of his grace and of his mercy, a new humility where they are able to withstand future trials future temptations. And in this, Jesus provides two answers to the question, how can faith withstand the onslaught of Satan? And the primary answer is Jesus' intercession on our behalf. That is key. And we forget that even now, our Savior is interceding for us. He is praying that your faith would not fail, that it would not come to an end, and that you would be able to live through the current challenge so that God could work and strengthen you to serve others. This is the good news. Did your faith fail? No. 
Do not write yourself off. God has not. Do not disqualify yourself from the race. God, the just judge, has not disqualified you. This is good news. And you can surrender that weight of failure, and you can ask God to help you see what he sees when he looks at you. You are being refined. You are being sifted, but God has a call on your life to come back stronger. You have overestimated your faithfulness at times, but do not underestimate the call that God has on your life still and today. Now is our moment. Now is your moment. And we as a church, if we believe that Jesus' prayers work, this means that we have work that we can do that we can move past what was and move into what is for what God has in our lives. May our perception of our failures not hinder us from doing the work that God has called you to do. Uh, The words of Winston Churchill are, are good at this moment. Success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. I'm going to invite the worship team up and we're going to sing Amazing Grace again. Written by a man that everyone dismissed as impossible for the kingdom. A slave trader who was so far from the kingdom, no one would ever have thought him to become a minister and a man to write a song like this. But Jesus didn't see it as over for him. He found a way, and that's something that we can be so thankful for. Let's sing Amazing Grace together.